Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 175 of Dogcast Radio, which is an interview with Pamela Dennison about her superbly helpful book, How to Write a Dog Gone Wrong. As well as being an experienced and respected trainer and behaviourist, and having written several books and produced DVDs too, when she talks about writing a dog gone wrong, Pam draws on personal experience. Pam took a deeply troubled border collie called Shadow and helped him cope with life, and you can hear her talking about that in episode 60 of Dogcast Radio, which, along with all our other episodes, is on our website, www.dogcastradio.com. In this interview, Pam explores how you can help your reactive or aggressive dog, and offers practical advice, drawing on many years helping students and living with her own dogs. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Today we're going to talk about your book, How to Write a Dog Gone Wrong. Um, so we'll, we'll jump into that because you, you, I think the first sentence in the book is, there is no greater joy in the world than working with and seeing progress from your aggressive dog. Now, I, I just it occurred to me that joy is an interesting word there because, you know, I imagine there's a lot of other emotions are involved, like frustration and anger and fear and that kind of thing. But you do speak from experience on this one, don't you? So tell us, how how is joy involved in this for you? You know, that's a fabulous, fabulous question because a lot of people think that it's all about fear and on, on the human's part. Yeah. And in the beginning, there may be fear. I know there was a lot of fear when I was working with my human aggressive dog, Shadow. It was a lot of fear, a lot of frustration, a lot of what did I get myself into? Why didn't I return this dog uh, to the rescue group? All of that kind of thing. But the joy comes in when you start to gain more confidence you start to build a real relationship with your dog and you start a communication back and forth. And when you get that real communication, that trust, that bond, that's where the joy comes in. Yeah. Because you get to the point where you can actually read, you can read and feel your dog. And I know that sounds maybe a little crazy and whatever, but it, re- it really, really is. The people that come to me on a regular basis, I mean, they have so much fun in my growl class, my weekly growl class, and mm. at my reward zone seminar, we have so much fun because it's all about having fun with your dog. Yeah. I mean, of course, yes, you have to train your foundation skills first, But again, as you do that, this trust and bond and confidence on both sides of the leash, then you can go anywhere and do anything. It's just, it's lovely. It's wonderful. People have so much fun. Yeah. You're absolutely right that when you sort of feel that you and the dog are working in unison and you're working together, and I I don't mean there, you know, you're sort of, you know, you've bashed the dog into submission mentally or physically, you know, and it's doing exactly what you're saying but you know that you're choosing to work together and it it is exciting isn't it it's incredibly exciting I have a uh, a dog that I'm working with now and she was attacked a few times and she became very dog aggressive Mm. and the owner went from trainer to trainer to trainer and never got anything accomplished and then she came to me This dog was so terrified of the world that she couldn't even take her for a walk because she refused to go. The dog would potty in the backyard, and that's it. She would refuse to go out into the world. And after it was maybe six weeks, the dog is now willingly and joyfully taking walks. Yeah, brilliant. It's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, I have goosebumps, literally. I'm not kidding. I have goosebumps thinking about this job. 
Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, that's, you know? that's, that's something we take for granted. You know, we're going to take our dog for a walk, out we go. But, you know, if you do right. have a reactive dog or, you know, or an aggressive dog, that becomes such a trial. And so to have oh. that back, you know, and to be normal, normal suddenly is a gift, isn't it? Oh, it's a huge gift. And that's the wonderful thing um, about my regular program is that people get to practice and see what it feels like to have a normal dog, even if it's for one hour a, a week in the beginning. And they can just breathe and just be with their dog without fear. Yeah. Because, yeah. of course, I set everything up so that nobody aggresses and that everybody can just relax. I mean, right now, because it's, it's summer here in the U.S., um, we have been going to this one park, which is just, oh, it's a dream come true for everybody. It's got an enormous field. It's got 26 miles of trails, wow. and, and there's a river. Mm. So, and it's been really hot. So we're like, yeah, we're going to the park this week. And we take a walk on the trail. And, of course, you know, we can't control other people. It's a public park and a public trail. But that's okay. We manage. Nobody ever aggresses. We walk on the trail, and then we go for a swim, and we have all the dogs swimming at the same time because you cannot worry about or concentrate on staying afloat and aggressive at the same time. <laughs> yes, good you point. Just, you just can't do it. And it's just wonderful to see these dogs just blossom. Yeah. To, to their true selves, you know, it, it's just, oh, I love my job. Yes, <laughs> yes, I imagine it must be, some days must be more rewarding than others, but it must be really rewarding. Um, it is, it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, let's, let's deal with one thing, because obviously you, you talk about aggression a lot in the book. Um, right. Now, is, what is aggression? And it is any dog who shows aggression, have they gone wrong? Because I can remember the day we moved into sort of the house we're in now, for example, um, our dogs, we made it as easy as we could for them. We got their beds out first and we do all we could. But I remember that Buddy, who's the most easygoing dog in the world, he was on the bed and still gone to the bed with him. And he kind of snapped at her and sort of growled a bit and said, go away in no uncertain terms for him. And my father-in-law, who was here, said, oh, my goodness, they can, they can never live together again. You know, they've, they've sort of, you know, they, they've gone wrong, if you like. And I can remember saying, no, 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 it's just like if you and I had a row. It's not like I got the, the bread knife out of the drawer and stabbed you with it. They just had a bit of a row. And, you know, it sounded awful, but it wasn't, it wasn't like an attempt on any, anybody's life. So we, but we do expect our dogs not to show any aggression ever, don't we? I know, and I think that's really sad. Yeah. Um, I forget who it was. It was either Pat Miller or Gene Donaldson just wrote an article about that we don't allow our dogs to have an opinion anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, no, it's okay. Your dog can have an opinion. You know, it doesn't make the dog aggressive. Mm. It just means that at that particular moment, that they were unhappy about something. Like, let's say you inadvertently stepped on them yeah. and hurt them. And, I mean, let's face it, if, if somebody, even if it's inadvertent, if somebody hurts us, we're going to yell, or we might, because we're human, we might whack them back. Mm -hmm. That does mm -hmm. not make us aggressive. It just means that maybe we were startled. You know, a lot of people, they, they, they go and they race up and they hug their sleeping dog. Yeah. And then, and then, of course, the dog bites them. But that doesn't make the dog aggressive. It just means you startled them. And I'll tell you my, a, a, a personal story. Hmm. I don't like to be woken up out of a sound sleep, and I get very, very aggressive if somebody tries to wake me up out of a sound sleep. Yep, yep. That doesn't make me aggressive. It just means, no, I really don't want that right now. Yeah. yeah. I, can, I can empathize with that. <laughs> yes. Now, of course, on the flip side... Sometimes, of course, people continually, repeatedly make excuses for their dogs. Mm. And that's, that's where a little bit of my worry comes in. It's like, you know, you don't, 
you want to look at each thing. You don't want to make, you know, full excuses all the time. But, I mean, sometimes look at exactly what happened. And if the dog was just startled or whatever, you know, a, a growl or a little snap, that's appropriate. Yeah. But if you're continually making excuses, then you might want to rethink what you're thinking. Yeah. Yeah, because we, we can sometimes look at our dogs and sort of see them through rose-tinted spectacles, can't we? And sort of they're, they're perfect. And I know my, my husband and daughter accuse me of this and say, you know, if we'd done that, you know, you'd, you'd, you wouldn't talk to us like that. Because I go, oh, you little monkey to, to Buddy. And to them, they say, you don't talk to us like that. So we can, you know, sort of over, right. over you know, think our dogs are too more perfect than they are. Um, now, you've mentioned, yeah. you've mentioned there that sort of look at the, the situation that things are happening in. And yes. I, like, I like the fact that you, you sort of say it's more useful rather than labeling the behavior, you know, saying they're food, food aggressive or they're whatever. Try right. to think of it in terms of what is it that's triggering your dog. And you even take it further than that because it's not just, you know, people or dogs or whatever it is. You look at it in quite a complex way, don't you? Well, yeah, because if you don't, if you can't define exactly what your dog triggers to, then you can't fix it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I am very, you know, with my work with Shadow and then, of course, all the other aggressive dogs that I work with, if you don't know exactly what's going on and what is going to trigger your dog, then you'll just keep doing it. Yes. <laughs> so if you don't <laughs> recognize what the dog is uncomfortable with, then you can't you can't even begin to try to fix it. Yeah, yeah. But as you say, it can be. It's sort of. It can't. It's not necessarily just. You know, a man or a woman. You know, it can be a man in a hood with an umbrella, or you know, it can be quite specific, can't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And the more specific that you can get, it will help you not only to help rectify the issues. But it gives you a clearer sense and it gives you the confidence. It's, I'll, I'll liken it to writing a book, of which I've written many. Yes. <laughs> the way that I write, I write a full, complete outline. And then I just fill in the blanks. Now, without that outline, I would just be sitting at a, at a blank screen thinking, I don't know what to say. I don't know where to go. I don't know what I want to say first. I don't know what I want to say second. I don't know where I want this book or article or whatever to go. Yeah. So if you, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have an outline, and that includes, you know, defining all of these things that your dog is aggressive or reactive to, then you're just going to keep making the same mistakes again and again and again. And guess what? You'll never move forward. Yeah, yeah. And when you have an aggressive dog, you know, that you desperately want to move forward, don't you? Um, you yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you say, and I like this, this sort of approach, you, you say the basics, pure and simple, classical conditioning, operant conditioning, counter conditioning, and systematic desensitization are what you'll find in your book. So can you explain to us what those terms mean and give us an example of sort of how we might put that into action? Okay. We have classical conditioning. And, I'll, I, and, and I explain things in person and in my book in a very simple to understand way. I don't yes. use all the big words. Um, if any of you out there like all the big words, there's some big word books out there. <laughs> but I, I personally like to explain everything so that everyone can understand. You don't need a master's in science or behavior science to understand. Yeah. So simply, classical conditioning happens when something that has no particular meaning for the dog, which is called a neutral stimulus. We all know what neutral means. You're not going anywhere. Yeah. Such as a tone or light, a pen, a light bulb, um, a calculator. It doesn't matter. It, it, it's neutral. The dog has no has no um, good or bad associations. It's just a thing in the room. Um, becomes associated, paired with 
something that does have meaning for the dog, such as food, water, physical pain, or pleasure. So when you are classically conditioning your dog to something, like, okay, so let's say I want my dog to be okay if I need to grab his collar. Now, I don't mean a grab and yank, you know, alpha roll, scruff shake. Mm. I mean, oh, my God, the dog is about to step off a cliff. Yes. You know, or, or fall off the dock into the, into the ocean or something like that. Where, you know, all bets are off. you got to grab the dog. Um, or there's some poison and you need to grab the dog. So you take, you know, you touch, you touch the collar and give them a treat. So maybe touching the collar would have no bad association. And then you pair it with food. Yeah. So then touching the collar, it actually kind of then delves into operant conditioning. Um, but if you paired, let's say you grabbed the collar and, and hung the dog, well, then the grabbing behavior is paired with pain now. So I don't know if I'm making myself yes, clear. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So here's, what, here's another one. This, yeah. this one's an actually an easier one. Mm-hmm. For instance, a can opener has absolutely no meaning for a dog. <laughs> yeah. But when you open up a can of dog food and feed him, then after a couple of pairings, then the sight of the can opener becomes, oh, I'm going to be fed now. Yeah, yeah. So I guess in a, sim- in a similar way, I mean, keys, I mean, it just happened that yeah. they're both metal. You know, keys have no meaning for a dog, but they soon pick up on, oh, keys mean doors opening, cars, exciting things. Exactly, exactly. So now, of course, excuse me, if you change that and did bad things with this neutral stimulus, then, of course, it would take on something that you would now have to counter-condition. So if you take this, this bland, neutral object and started hitting the dog with it, then it would take on that, oh, my God, I see this rolled-up newspaper or a baseball bat, God forbid, mm-hmm. you know, or anything like that, then obviously, yeah, then we would have to flip side. Okay. So that would yeah. be that would be classical conditioning. Mm-hmm. For operant conditioning, mm-hmm. that works more on the actual behavior, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So you've got the four quadrants because there's four of them: positive reinforcement, positive punishment negative reinforcement, and negative punishment. Mm -hmm. So most things fit into those four quadrants. So you have positive reinforcement. So the words positive and negative relate only to something added or something taken away. The terms reinforcement and punishment Reinforcement means the behavior is increasing. Punishment means the behavior is decreasing. Ah, right. Okay. Okay. So I'm yeah. going to try to, you know, again, I like to break things down for my, my human students and my dog students. And, this, and it's very complicated. This is not easy stuff. Mm. And that's why the chapters on this are very short because, you know, I'll give you a little, and if you want to read more, here you go read these textbooks. Yeah. So positive reinforcement, anything that is added, that increases behavior. Positive punishment, anything added that decreases behavior. Yeah. Negative reinforcement, anything that is taken away that increases behavior. Negative punishment, anything that is taken away that decreases behavior. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to positive reinforcement, something added that increases behavior. Uh, You ask your dog to sit, he sits, you give him a treat, that sitting on the floor, you know, sitting behavior will increase. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Positive punishment would be 
anything added that decreases behavior. So let's say your dog is barking and because you read somewhere that this was a good thing to do. It's not, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and you turn on the citronella collar. Mm. The citronella collar is activated. His barking may decrease. Okay. Your dog is pulling on the leash. You yank him back until he stops pulling. But please don't get the wrong idea here. I'm not advocating positive mm. punishment. Why would I say to stay away from it? On paper, it seems to be working. My dog stopped barking and stopped pulling. Well, let's look at how you solve these behaviors a little closer. Okay, so barking. Okay, your dog is barking. At what? At wildlife, shadows, another dog, a person, you. Why is he barking? You know, have you actually looked into the reason why he's barking? So it could be excitement of the moment. I mean, I have Chelsea's. They bark all the time. (laughs) Um, Fear. Fear of being alone. Maybe they're in a stressful situation or possibly redirection. Could be a learned behavior. I see this all the time. Dog barks. The owner looks at the dog. And bam, the barking behavior is repeating. Um, A defense or guard, like as in a warning, perhaps growling first. Or frustration, being tied up alone, um, you know, all these different things. None of these things would benefit from being punished. Mm. Okay? Yeah. I was, so, you know, it's, and, 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 and people don't understand, like, how punishment can be reinforcing. And I, I'll give you an example. I have a friend who has a, uh, a horse, a stallion, and he learned really quickly that if he kicks his stall that someone will come over and do one of two things. They will either bang the stall with a stick Hmm. or they will give him hay to shut him up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay? So guess what? You know, this stallion just, he constantly kicks his stall. Yeah. Okay. So let's say, okay, so now let's go to negative reinforcement. So negative reinforcement increases the behavior because a negative condition is stopped or avoided as a consequence of the behavior. So, for instance, negative reinforcement increases the behavior by taking something away that the dog doesn't like. Mm thus increasing the likelihood that under similar circumstances that behavior of that behavior occurring again in the future. So, for instance, it is relieving, reinforcing for the dog to get away from something that he might find unpleasant, the vet, a dog, a person, a leash pop, etc. Therefore, any action by the dog that enables him to escape pain or discomfort is reinforced by the relief his, he experiences. Your dog is growling at you when you try to groom him and you stop. His growling while grooming will increase. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah, yeah. So, and that's another one. You really want to stay away from it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, we get to negative punishment. Now, negative punishment sounds like the worst thing on the planet. But that's how we positive trainers punish our dogs. Mm-hmm. So the dog's behavior removes something desirable from the environment, thereby decreasing that behavior occurring again in the future. Physical pain doesn't come into play here. Often the consequences of the behavior are that we lose something of value. Your dog loses his opportunity to play or eat some cookies. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So if your dog jumps on you and you ignore the dog, I mean, preferably teach the dog some alternate behaviors instead of jumping. But if you just ignore the dog, what are you taking away? You're taking away the attention they want. Same Mm -hmm. with demand barking. You know, and my, that's why my dogs don't demand bark because I just walk away. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
So I'm taking myself, which, you know, is a huge reinforcer to the dog. I'm taking my attention away, which is why they don't demand bark. Yeah, yeah. You know, they also don't jump on me either unless I ask them to. Yes, um, yeah. So sort of that's a tiny little grain of the four quadrants of uh, operant conditioning and a little taste of classical conditioning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, that is it's fascinating because what jumped into my mind is I have a neighbor. We don't have many neighbors, but we do have one neighbor um, and his, his dogs bark at us a lot. No, I don't mind at all. They, you know, it's there. We're nearing their territory. They bark. It doesn't bother me at all. But he will stand and shout at his dog and say, what do you know, whatever your name is here and shout and wave his arms. And, and I'm thinking, but. The dog, you know, the dog is not interpreting this as you are telling me off. You are actually, you know, affirming what he's doing and, and rewarding him. And he's going, yeah, yeah, you want me to bark, don't you? I'm seeing them and I'm seeing them off. And I'm thinking, oh, that's the one we fall into, I think, very easily. Very easily. And in fact, I have a chapter um, in the book that actually addresses problem neighbor dogs. Yeah. And... I think it's in chapter 16 in Life with Dogs. And I talk about how you can actually fix your neighbor's dogs. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and there are some strategies that you can do. Like, let's say your appearance sets the, dog, the neighbor dogs off for barking. Mm. So all you have to do is go out there by yourself and just throw food at them. Mm. And you do that for a couple of days or, you know, a couple of weeks and pretty soon they'll be wagging their tail coming up to the fence and they'll <laughs> shut up. Yes. Yeah. But again, can't, completely counterintuitive because as humans, our attitude, I mean, I just, if they bark when I'm near, I just go, oh, good dog, good dog. It's okay. You know, um, but instinctively you kind of go, oh, shut up, leave me. It's just me. You know, but again, right, right. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're, we're rewarding it, but yeah. Oh, yeah. So, okay, so we've done the classical conditioning, we've done the operate conditioning. So the, the counter-conditioning, is, is that quite a, a tough one then? Counter-conditioning is the uh, use of associative learning or classical conditioning to reverse the unwanted effects of prior conditioning or more simply to change the existing emotional response. Mm -hmm. So counter-conditioning, counter means you're changing it. Yes, yeah. You're changing the association that your dog now has with whatever it is that they react to. So that's counter-conditioning to basically change what you've got to make him, or not make him, but help him to like the thing he is now afraid of. Mm. That would be counter condition. You just want to think change. So you have whatever behavior you don't want. Well, now you want to change it. Mm. Mm. So that must be very, a very useful tool. Sort of, I'm thinking with, um, you know, a, a rescue dog or a dog that's come to you sort of later in life where he's already accumulated, you know, attitudes to things and, and fear of things that you need to teach him he doesn't need to fear anymore right because what you need to do now is you need to set up positive associations now to counter condition the, do the dog to whatever it is that they're they're not liking yeah you know so whatever your dog's issues so for instance so we'll go back to uh so, for instance, let's say you put a prong collar on your dog. Please don't. Mm. And yank back every time he aggressed at another dog. So your dog has now learned that the presence of another dog means you will feel pain. Yeah. So you've conditioned, taught him to fear other dogs, and most likely he would continue to aggress at other dogs given the chance. Mm. So to counter that, you need to teach incompatible responses to those things and then to counter 
condition, those, those be, the behavior of biting people or dogs or whatever, you would now pair pleasant and positive things to, for the dog in the presence of these stimuli. Now, of course, a lot of people erroneously think, oh, I know how to fix an aggressive dog. You just, you just have people feed him if he's human aggressive or you feed him if he's dog aggressive. And it's like, oh, my God, there's so much more to the process than just that. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some brand new trainers take on cases they had no business taking on. And that's what they did. And it's like, you know, and of course, everybody got bit. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot more to just feeding the dog when they're provoking stimuli or present. But that's kind of, again, it gives you a little nutshell. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you've got desensitization, mm. and which is systematic desensitization is exactly that. It's systematic. And that's why you need to make your list of all the things that your dog reacts to because it has to be systematic. Um, unfortunately, we humans, human nature, we like to see immediate results. Mm. So if we compare it to dieting, we crash diet, we starve ourselves, follow countless fad diets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you may see quicker results, but the percentage of people who bounce back to their start weight or even heavier is astounding. Yes. So, you know, faster isn't better. Systematic is better. Okay, nice and slow. Take your time. Take your time. You will get there faster if you take your time. Yeah. But as you say, we want the quick fix, don't we? Yeah, everybody wants a quick fix. Mm. And there is no quick fix. There is no quick fix when you're working with aggression and reactivity. But if you try to push it, you're just going to get, it's just, it's, you're never going to fix it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you go systematically, pedantically, I'm a very pedantic person. If you go very slowly, carefully, then you'll get there much faster than if you tried to rush it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it, another thing that you sort of cover in the book, which is hugely useful, is, you know, what, what sort of signs do we need to be able to read from our dog in order to understand them in terms of aggression? And, and this is really useful because one of the things I've learned um, is, for example, when a dog stands, not particularly necessarily with aggression, but when, I, when a dog has stood still for me in the past, you know, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, he's being good, he's standing still, there's no problem here. And then suddenly, bang, there's a problem. And actually, he was showing me with his body language... I'm very worried here. And I just thought, oh, you're being a good dog and and being still here. So it's quite um, subtle, some of the things we need to look for, isn't it? Yes. There are 47-plus signals that dogs give off that we humans can perceive. Wow. Now, that's not saying there's only 47. There's a lot more than that, but these are the ones that we humans can perceive. I would advise all of your listeners to get Turid Rugas's book and DVD on, on calming signals. And you're going to get both. You're going to watch the video dozens of times, and you're going to read the book dozens of times, and then you're going to start observing your dog. There are, in, in, in my book, I categorize them as mild, medium, hot, bring out the fire extinguisher. <laughs> yes. But the line is more blurry than that. But I wanted to give people an idea of when they start to see these things that you better pay attention. You better pay attention. Mm. So I talk about that if you see any of these signals, it's your, that your dog is telling you, that they are nervous, so you need to get out of there, okay? If you're seeing a lip lick, a head turn, a yawn, um, or starting to become stiff, mm. um, or slow, reluctant behaviors, if they're sniffing the ground and you think they're disobeying you, they're not. They're, they're trying to calm themselves down. 
Mm. You know, um, if they're spinning, if they're frantically wagging their tail, um, drinking water, staring, grass eating, you know, short attention span, uh, self-mutilation, whining, barking, howling, teeth bared, um, excessive scratching. Mm-hmm. You know, those are all signs of stress. Yeah. Those are all signs of stress. And there's, there's many, many more. Mm-hmm. And, then, mm-hmm. and then there's also the fact that, like, let's just pick lip licking. Well, lip licking could be this huge tongue coming out, or it could be just the tiny tip showing or it can be any variation in between. So really now you've got 47 times like 50 because there's so many different variations. And the dogs are not just doing one signal at a time. They're very often doing lots of signals at the same time. Mm. So it just, it, 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 and this is also where that trust come in, comes in. Because if you can start to teach your dog that you are listening to what I call the whispers, okay, then, you know, these very small, subtle signals, and they will learn to trust you that you will keep them safe. Yes. So if you respond appropriately to their whispers by moving away, then then they will only feel that they have to whisper. Mm-hmm. So it's a really important thing. And, and if, you, if you ignore the whispers or you're not aware of them, you know, then your dog will stop whispering because it didn't get them what they wanted, which was yeah. distance. Okay? So then they start what I call talking louder. So they start showing more obvious signals. Hello, are you not looking? Okay? And if those are ignored or punished, then they'll stop using those too. And then they'll start screaming. And screaming is lunging and teeth bared and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And if those signals are ignored or punished, well, guess what? You're not leaving them any way to communicate. So those are the ones that bite literally out of nowhere, but not really literally. Mm. Like, that's how I, when I first got Shadow, all of his warning signs had been punished out of him by his previous owner. So he had all these signals with other dogs, but when it came to people, he learned to mask all those signs, and it took me a couple months to actually, with, with really, really observing him, I actually figured out that he had two signals left. Hmm. One was his pupils got really big. Now, I'm talking in a nanosecond, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> And the leather of his nose would kind of spread out. Oh. And so, and it took me a couple months to recognize that. Yeah. Once I did, and then, of course, then we built our relationship over the years, and then I trusted him, and he trusted me, and, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really important. Because if you can't read your dog, then you can't, you don't know when to start a session, when to end a session, when to keep going, what to do, how close to get, how far away to get. You, you, you're, you're running blind. Yeah, yeah. If you can't read your dog, then you're, you're, you're blind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, it's, it, does, it did seem to me, reading the book, that sort of um, when you have a dog who's aggressive, that we, as humans, we, um, we seem to do many things that make it worse you know you, you've said about sort of not being able to read the dog and not sort of responding appropriately um we 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 don't admit the dog's got a problem but we we have the potential to make it much worse than it is don't we oh and and we usually do yes because especially the first couple times because then people are embarrassed by their dog's behavior so they react badly to their dog who is reacting badly yeah yeah and they don't. Te- they just want the dog to stop. Mm. Well, guess what? You, the, it won't happen. You know, nature abhors a vacuum. You can't mm. just get the dog to stop doing X, Y, Z. No. You've got to fill that void 
with other behaviors, you know, that are incompatible to aggressing. You can't stop a behavior. Like like even something as simple as, as jumping. We can't stop the jumping because what's the behavior you want instead? Well, how about a sit? Yeah. So that's an alternately incompatible behavior to jumping. Yeah. So there's always whatever behavior you don't want, there's an alternate behavior you can train instead. Yeah. Yeah. And and teach the dog that's the thing that's wonderful and that gets rewards and yeah, they they go to that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I talk quite a bit in the book about that. I have many, many chapters on, you know, how to train certain incompatible behaviors and I have a whole list of things that you can do. I mean I because that is my protocol, is training incompatible behaviors to aggressing, and guess what? The aggression stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what we want. Um, we, we've what talked, we want. Yeah. We, we've sort of talked about this before, that um, management seems to be the key, as you said. You Absolutely. Know, yeah. Um, would, would you sort of, should we think about aggression a bit like a human addiction in that we can't, cure it but we can make it livable with you know both for us and the dog yes although i have seen a few dogs that actually were in fact cured Hmm. and not too many i mean some of them still a little bit of management you know but a little bit you know minor stuff but i've had i actually had i was working with a um a basset hound Hmm. who was attacked a couple times, and we actually, I have to say, we cured that dog. That was pretty amazing. Mm, wow. That was pretty, that was pretty darned amazing. Yeah. And uh, I had an English Mastiff, that same thing. She was, she wasn't aggressive. She was absolutely terrified mm. and of, of people. Um, and we, we cured her. I mean, it was, it was pretty amazing. So I've had a couple of dogs that I've worked with where, yeah, it was just, you know, we cured it. And other dogs, yeah, a little bit of management here and there. You know, you get to the point where it's just minor management and then you don't even really think about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it must be such a relief for the dog, mustn't it, as well? Oh, totally, 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 totally. And a lot of people, they don't understand. They don't want to do management. Mm. They just want to fix it. It's like, again, you can't just fix it. You have to manage first. And um, management isn't the be-all and end-all. It's the beginning of the beginning. Yeah. Okay? And then some people think, well, isn't that ignoring the problem? How will my dog ever learn to be calm around XYZ if I don't expose them to XYZ? Well, no, it's not ignoring the problem, but you... Uh, you've got to get your dog calm around triggers, and to do that, you need to teach all, all these alternate and incompatible behaviors. Mm-hmm. And you also need to control exactly how your dog is exposed to those triggers. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. you've got to do it. Again, there's that systematic desensitization. Can't get away from that. Sorry, gang. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I you can't get away from it. No. No. See, I kind of think that I have, it's, an, it's not a phobia, but I am very, very scared of bees and wasps. And it's out of all proportion with, with what a sting is. I know that, you know. But right. if, if you put me in a room full of bees and wasps, I would just kind of shut down and roll into a ball and, and lie on the floor and, and cry. You know, right. that would just flood me and I would just, I wouldn't, I couldn't even think. Whereas if you took me away, further away from them, and I could either look at pictures or see them through glass or whatever it was, then I could listen to what you were saying to me about it. But just putting me by them, I would freak out. Right, exactly. You know, and your dog already has these bad associations. So, yeah, flooding is like the worst possible thing that you can do. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, 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 cause, and, and people think that that's what you should do. Mm. It just expose them more and make them more uncomfortable so they get over it. No, they don't get over it. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. It does not. It doesn't work that way with humans, and it doesn't work that way with animals. Yeah, absolutely. You, um, alongside, you know, yes, we need to systematically um, sort of uh, desensitize and, and try and set the dog up to succeed. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I love I love your chapter 15, When It's Too Late, because... 
in the real world, it, we can't always control things. There's always going to be somebody's come in the gate with it where we haven't realised or we're, we're stuck in the pavement and there's a dog and whatever, and we can't get away in time. Um, but I, that really intrigued me. Why do you advise people to sing if they're caught out and the dog is, oh. <laughs> I love that, is presented with their trigger? What, why advise them to sing? <laughs> because if you're singing, you're breathing. Yeah, yeah. That's why. I used to sing happy birthday. <laughs> if I was in a situation that I that all of a sudden I could feel myself starting to hyperventilate, I did not want Shadow to feel my terror. Yeah. So in the beginning, the only way I could get myself to breathe and not hyperventilate was to sing happy birthday because it was the only song I could reliably remember the words <laughs> when I was in abject terror of what Shadow might do. Yeah. And I had, uh, it was very funny, I have this one client, and she's hilarious, and she has a cattle dog, and, and her dog is doing extremely well. And I, 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 we, we upped our criteria one time, and I, I, I did put gates in between, you know, sturdy gates, and I had her with her dog off-leash. Hmm. And her dog is dog aggressive, and I had one of my dogs on the other side of the gate. And and I was right by the door. So if I needed to, if he charged, which he didn't, um, because, of course, I wasn't going to set him up. And, and I knew he wasn't going to charge. Hmm. But I could always get out, you know, and protect my dog if I needed to. Hmm. So she was absolutely hyperventilated. <laughs> absolutely hyperventilated. So I made her sing happy birthday, and she's like, no, I said, do it. <laughs> I'm very bossy. And I made you surprised me. <laughs> yeah, and I made I made her sing happy birthday. Mm. And within a couple, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, she calmed down and it was it was instantly apparent that her dog completely calmed down and he was glued to her. Mm. So it was really you know, this stuff is really interesting. Yeah. Mm. You know, it was very, and I learned about the breathing thing from a trainer, Patty Russo, who uh, was my first intro to positive training a long time ago. It was like 18, 19 years ago. And I remember going up to uh, Connecticut, two and a half, uh, three and a half hours away. And she said, okay, what are you here for? And I said, well, why don't I just demo and you tell me what I need to do? She said, okay. And, and I'd come from a punishment, prong collar, popping, jerking background. So she's across the room, and it must have been close to 100 feet away. It was a really big place. And she said, breathe. <laughs> and I stopped, and I looked at her. How did you know I wasn't breathing? <laughs> like, I was, like, really startled. And she said, because I looked at, the, I looked at your dog. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, Whoa, light bulb, <laughs> light bulb's yeah. coming on here. So, And I can do that with my clients. I can tell by looking at their dogs if they're breathing or not. And they say the exact same thing that I said to Patty. They're like, how did you know I wasn't breathing? I said, because I'm looking at your dog. <laughs> you know, and dogs will avoid people that are holding their breath. Mm. It, so, it's incredible when when somebody tells you these things and you kind of think, okay, I can I can see the sense of it. But it, automatically, if you have a dog that reacts, you you know, and you think you're going to be in a situation, you you do tense, don't you? you? Tense and everything goes tight and you stop breathing. So to be told yeah. that again, it must be wonderful. Yeah, it's totally great. It's totally yeah. great, and that's the nice thing about this is because you know if you if you work on yourself and you work on your dog. You know, because it's not just working on the dog. It's not just the bottom half of the leash here. It's the top half as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Definitely. So it's like, it's like okay, so you're driving. You can't blame the car mm. if you crash into a tree. You, you know, it's like you're the one driving. You, you, you drove right at the tree. Yeah. If you made a right turn, you would have missed the tree. But you were driving. You drove into the tree. You can't blame the car. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's, I just that's a made great that way an, of looking. I just, yeah, I just made that analogy up. I should have put it in the book. <laughs> Save it for the next book. <laughs> write it down. As soon as we get off the phone, write it down. <laughs> right, right. Uh-oh. Um, you're you're very honest in in the book, and and you're always honest, and and you're honest in person, and you know you're honest in your writing. Um, yeah. But you, you you say I used to think that every dog could be turned around. However, the more I work with aggressive, reactive dogs, the less I believe it. And obviously, yes, you do have to be realistic. And having rehabilitated your own aggressive dog and helped many others, you know the, the reality of the situation. So what kind of situations do you mean here? If you don't have the time, effort, training chops, someone to help you, in a positive way, the management skills or the ability to put those management protocols in action, it's not going to work. And you need to rehome or euthanize the dog, depending on the severity. Mm-hmm. You, know, let's, you know, let's say you have a bunch of kids, they have friends that come over, you have an open door policy, and you have a human aggressive dog. Guess what? Nothing's going to fix this dog. Yeah. yeah. If you can't, change the environment then it's not going to work it's totally not going to work mm. you know i know i mean really that open door policy with a human aggressive dog oh my god it's terrifying yeah yeah it's absolutely terrifying you know and management at some point or another will always fail it, it will always fail mm. so you have to look at the risk factor here is your dog just growling and maybe lunging but no teeth, you know? But, of course, that doesn't mean that the dog will not escalate into using teeth, mm. you know? So we always want to put our dogs in a position where they never feel the need to use their teeth. Yes. Whether they are an eight-week-old puppy or a, you know, human or dog-aggressive dog. We always want to put them into a situation where they don't feel the need to use their teeth. But if you, you know, you live in, 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 you know, I mean, it takes a lot of money. I'll be honest. It takes a lot of money because it takes a lot of training. Mm. I mean, when I was first working with Shadow, I was taking three, four lessons a week. Wow. Yeah. A week. Yeah. Yeah. That was a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And time and, and yeah. And time and effort and you know, I mean it was easy here because I don't have children. Mm. Um so and and I live in the middle of the woods and very rarely had company. Mm. So in my environment, Shadow was able to then blossom. Yes. Yeah. But if I lived in a different kind of environment, he would not have. It would have been impossible, mm. you know. And some people think, and 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 that, oh, you can save every dog. No, you can't. Because mm. I used to think that, and and I realized, no, you can't save every dog. I mean, some dogs are so damaged, you know. And sometimes it's genetic. Mm. Mm. You know, sometimes it's just genetics. For instance, I'm five feet tall. My mother is five feet tall. And my father's 5'2". There was no way I was ever going to reach 5'10 or 6 feet <laughs> because I don't have the genetics for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and in my opinion, gen, you know, there's always na- people, nature versus nurture. Yeah. And in my opinion, nature always chumps, trumps nurture. Mm. Nature always trumps nurture. Mm. That doesn't mean that you can't help the dog, you know, to some level, depending on the dog. You know, most dogs that I take on, I'm going to take on dogs that I know that I can help. I mean, I have turned away a few dogs that I was just getting so many warning bells and red flags, I just refused to take them. Mm. Yeah. Because I know, it, I just knew that it wasn't going to happen. It just was not, this was not going to be a successful outcome. Mm. On the whole, however, in my experience, I have found that most dogs, you can help, you can help 
a little bit or a lot or a real lot. Mm. Yeah. So it yeah. it just depends. But again, some dogs are just so damaged um, that you you can't fix them. It, it's kinder to euthanize them rather than have them live in a in a shelter environment for the rest of their life. Mm. Mm. You know, because I I don't I don't believe in that, and that's but that's another topic. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it, it's a very complex sort of area totally because, you you know, it, it, you have to understand the dog and you have to be in a position where you can control its environment. And then there are other decisions sort of do you do you try and find a home that is more suitable for the dog? Unfortunately, sometimes right, but, you have to yeah euthanize. Right. But of course, you know, I mean, really, how many people out there? Oh, sure. I'll take on this aggressive dog. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, how many homes are really like that? Mm. You know, how many home, how many home, how many hundreds of thousands of homes are you going to find like that? Yeah. <laughs> yes, people queuing dogs. up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. exactly. They're not queuing up to say, yep, yeah, I'll take that <laughs> aggressive one and that aggressive one. Yeah, I'll yeah, hand me all the aggressive ones. Yeah. You know, Ted, Ted Turner, who I worked uh, very closely with, and he taught me so much when I was working with Shadow. Mm. Um, so I remember Shadow got his, uh, got his CGC. And uh, and I it was just canine good citizen certificate, which was a huge, yes, a huge thing for Shadow. Yeah. And so I called him up, and I'm like, Ted, he he passed his CGC. I mean, I videotaped it. I got the whole thing. I mean, and and he said, Great, you're gonna do it again. You're gonna go out and get another dog like Shadow. I'm like, <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why would I put myself through that again? Thank you. <laughs> no, once was enough. You know. So my my thing is now. No, now that I I I certainly you know helped Shadow considerably, and um, he had a very full and enriched life, and 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 thus gave me a very full and enriched life. And now I get to help other people with their dogs. But would I take on another one? Absolutely not. Well, thank, thankfully for us, you did take Shadow on. Thankfully for him, you took him on as well. Um, so you can give yeah. us the benefit of your, you know, your experience. Um, yeah. As always, Pam, it's, it's always fascinating to talk to you. Um, where can people find out more about you online? My website, which is very easy to remember, if you remember my name. It's pamdenison.com, D-E-N-N-I-S-O-N, pamdenison.com. Pam, as ever, it's been fascinating to talk to you thank you ever so much um the best of luck best of luck with the book and um and whatever you go on to next okay thank you so much julie always a pleasure to talk invaluable advice there from pam if you do have a reactive or aggressive dog it can seem a very lonely hopeless place but you're not alone and there is help we have a link to Pam's website on the dogcast radio site where you can also find links to the other shows pam has appeared in in episode 60 of Dogcast Radio, she talked in detail about rehabilitating Shadow. In episode 166, we discussed her book, You Can Train Your Dog. And in episode 155, she offers further help to those coping with reactive dogs via her reward zone approach. If you are struggling in any way with your dog, do seek help. And if it's something we haven't already covered in a Dogcast Radio show, let me know and I'll get right on it. Till next time. Look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word. Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way, we can include them directly in our program. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What is a dog's favourite pickup line?
You must be my backyard because I really dig you.